All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today is a guest I'm very excited about, a person who has been very patient with me and my crazy schedule. And uh, yeah, so I'll introduce them. It is Catherine Keller. Catherine, how are you doing today? Well, I'm delighted to be here in this conversation with you and a slightly funky day is <laughs> coming into a good glow. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out. I appreciate it. Um, so just for our listeners who may not um, have had the privilege of being, uh, you know, in, introduced to your work yet, can you just kind of fill people in a little bit about, you know, who you are? What are some of the things that you do? Yes, I'm always trying to figure that out myself, but, you know, I, I, I should get there soon. But yeah, I'm Catherine. Uh, I'm a theologian, a concept which itself is getting a little more archaic year by year. Uh, I'm a Christian theologian who teaches at a theological school in New Jersey uh, that's multi-denominational. And some of my work is training pastors. Uh, some of my work is, is training uh, doctoral students who become professors of theology or of religious studies. So I've, I've got a rich uh, academic community that that hooks me into a really meaningful uh, church community. I'm a member of, of, a, of a wonderful progressive UMC church in Manhattan, just up the street from where I live. Uh, so uh, always out there <laughs> demonstrating with their rainbow flags. I, I just love them. Uh, and, and they make good music too. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the the context of my ongoing life, but I got into theology uh, largely because of the way that women were just coming to voice in Christianity in its, in its theological and church leadership around the time I was coming of age, you know, in my, in my early 20s. So I got really interested. I, I liked the big ideas of theology and philosophical depths and the liturgical celebratory aspects. Um, and and uh, I ended up 
going to seminary and really wanting to be part of a transformation that I thought of as very feminist. You know, this was in the, yeah, this was in the mid seventies. Um, and that, that was a rich experience for me. And then I became aware through a teacher at my seminary of process theology and the, the work of John Cobb uh, in Claremont. So very soon I, I went to study there to work with him and my doctorate because once I had encountered process theology, uh, I had a constructive vision. The feminist vision was critical and creative, but this gave me a whole uh, a kind of, of, of cosmology that is a whole view of the universe in which then uh, questions of faith play a crucial role, but that, that sense of universe also shapes, embodies, and forms questions of, of faith for process thought. Uh, so I was able to go there and, and, uh, and study with, with John Cobb and consider myself very lucky that he at 96, or maybe he's a little older than that this month, <laughs> this year, uh, is, is still uh, such, a, such an inspiring friend and, and guide. Uh, it keeps me feeling very young. <laughs> and I, I love that he doesn't only just keep publishing books. I think he has about 50 out, but uh, that he's also, since he retired, uh, very early, I guess, in this millennium or late in the last one, uh, has also uh, been quite an activist and an organizing uh, leader in, in international activist organizations around uh, especially uh, environmental sustainability and eco-social uh, justice. So, so that, that's a big part of what I do in my theology because it's cosmologically grounded, very earth-centered. Uh, it's 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 always been easy for me to um, to flow with the connections between feminism and ecological concern. <laughs> Good old Mother Earth <laughs> is being abused and got me going decades ago on a kind of eco-feminist path. And that was very supported uh, by process theology um, that that isn't just wanting to sound alarm bells about climate change. It, it does that too, because we should be alarmed, uh, but, but also uh, invites a sense of, of joy and appreciation of the beauty of the earth and of ourselves as earth creatures interconnected with all those other mammals and other animals uh, uh, with the plants, with the very, the very molecules and quantum elements of our world. So it's, it's a, a vision that, that keeps one uh, excited about being part of the creation, but invites one to be a creative part of the creation. Creative, first of all, as opposed to destructive, <laughs> but creative also as opposed to just, you know, uh, dogmatic and, and certain. Creative in the sense of rethinking faith. So. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, and my quick follow-up question to that before we we jump into our topic is that um, you referenced the name of the show, "Rethinking Faith," and I think it's always interesting to ask uh, people what they feel is perhaps the most important aspect of their faith that they have had to rethink. It's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 
I think because I didn't grow up with any traditional faith, I never had, uh, you know, like some very hardened sense of certitude about any, any faith tradition or doctrine. Uh, my family was extremely eclectic, so I had to find my own way, which was a kind of a good thing. I didn't spend years having to react against a really conservative or repressive kind of Christianity, you know, so that's, that's not part of me that I'm reacting against. But still, I, I, I have uh, always had to be uh, rethinking um, what God means <laughs> and realizing that the word God, it's a crude little one syllable word uh, that, you know, tries to capture what can't be captured, you know, that tries to name what is beyond naming. Uh, and yet, you know, I keep realizing at every new stage that actually I'm using some names and yet I have to question those names. Uh, and so it keeps me, you know, on the mystery as, as the title of that, that book goes. So, you know, just, just struggling uh, with, with my, my certainty that I can't be certain about anything that anyone says about God, uh, even what is attributed uh, to the Bible, that this all has to be read uh, in context and it all has to be read uh, with some suspicion that there have been, there have been uh, manipulations of the original uh, and it all, all has to be read in context. Uh, and I think even more important, it has to be read poetically. So sometimes I find myself rethinking theology as theopoetics uh, and that's, that's been liberating, but it doesn't take away the job of really trying to rigorously, you know, say what the tradition has meant by God, you know, where you come out in it, where I come out in it, you know, how we work with, with traditional uh, metaphors and doctrines respectfully. Uh, so that mystery of God has pushed me into uh, a lot of, of reflection on mysticism and, and mystery. I wrote a really big book called The Cloud of the Impossible, <laughs> which is a, a phrase from an old, an old mystic of the, uh, the 15th century, Nicholas of Cusa. <laughs> he was onto this problem of talking about that, which, which you really can't put in language. So that's that's been... That's, that's been at the center of my, <laughs> my constant rethinking. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's funny because I feel like just for myself personally, that's, that's the question that I've been asking most recently as well, is like, what, what do I mean when I use the word God? And it seems like it, it is, keeps changing. It's this ever-changing thing. Is As soon as I think I have it nailed down here, it's like, well, actually, no, it's actually bigger than that. And I'm like, oh, this this time I promise I have it. That's like, nope, it's actually, you know, so it's like this constant uh, ongoing journey. Uh, and but there's a part of the tradition, you know, kind of hardcore of it that wants us to nail it down or that thinks right. it's nailed down. And we have to remind that part of the tradition and of ourselves, you know, nailing uh that that's a tricky christian image <laughs> we don't want to nail god to a cross do we <laughs> so yeah uh but, but yeah I'm, I'm i'm with you on that it, yeah. it 
it's elusive, but that makes it alive. Um, but it also requires a kind of creativity as well as a kind of constant openness to surprise, you know, to learning things about, about what the divine signifies uh, from places where we wouldn't expect it, you know, from, from friends in other religions, you know, from very ethical but atheist people who have strong criticisms of our faith, you know, I mean, we learn things in very surprising ways or, or from the way a particular wounded toad is croaking <laughs> off my porch you know, from having been hurt very badly. Uh, you, you learn something about, about that, that infinite love that, that God is a nickname for uh, in surprising places, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, um, for me, some language that has been helpful for myself more recently is um, I've been saying that, like, I'm awakening to the reality that, like, every bush is a burning bush. <laughs> um, yeah, like, that That has been a really cool part of my journey most recently. Um, cool. Yeah, that I've really enjoyed. And then uh, I guess, like, the idea of process theology, actually, I kind of found my way into process theology uh, first through open and relational theology. Right. Um, yeah. Tom Ford. Good. Yeah. Tom is fantastic. Tom is a, a a friend, and he's been on the podcast. I think four or five times. I think he holds the record right. for for most times on <laughs> on rethinking faith. What a wise oh. and communicative man and theologian. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And um, but I guess for maybe for someone who is listening and they're like, man, process theology, that, what is that? That sounds interesting. I've never heard of that before. Um, what, what is process theology? When we talk about process theology, what, what are we talking about and where does that kind of come from? Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, I'd want to answer that question differently depending, you know, on what background people bring because um, not everyone has some philosophy background that I could say, oh, it comes from the philosophy of the great mathematical philosopher, Alfred North Whitehead from the, the 20s, 30s, but that doesn't say much, does it? Um, so process, process theology is, is a vision of, of the creation as in continuous, <laughs> complex, endless process that it's been in process from before any beginning that we can know about. And it will be in process beyond any, any ending that we can project uh, that, that life is not, that life, that life in the sense, not just of biological life, but of the life of the creation. So that the creation <laughs> uh, is vibrant with life, that what the creation comes down to is not uh, a, a kind of static being. It doesn't come down to a bunch of like things. <laughs> it doesn't come down to, to any, anything you can <laughs> nail <laughs> uh, to, to, the, <laughs> to the cross or to the, to the wood before us, it, you, there's, there is such endless dynamic process that makes up the creation 
uh, that we've really, as a species, uh, still got endlessly much to learn about it. But first of all, process theology wants to teach us that we, as creatures, are becoming every moment. We aren't just like born and we're essentially the same self, you know, with, with this and that change, influences here and there, but essentially I'm the same from cradle to grave, or maybe I have one big conversion experience, but that's it. No, for process thought, yes, I might have one enormous conversion experience that's unlike any other, but nonetheless, from cradle to grave, uh, I'm constantly becoming. And in a certain way, I'm, I'm already some, someone else just, just from having had this much conversation with you. Uh, and that might be a good thing or it might not be, we'll see. But, <laughs> and vice versa. Uh, but that we're, we're in a constant process of interrelationship and in these interrelationships, not just with other persons, but with everything, with the trees out my window, uh, with the beams of light from this lamp, uh, from the oxygen I'm breathing, from the cells in my body, and of course the endless memory that's mostly unconscious, but that yields me my vocabulary, et cetera. I mean, just in, we are made up of myriad relationships at any given moment. Most of these relations are unconscious, but they're all happening. And somehow, moment by moment, we're integrating them into ourselves. And in that we are becoming. So we're becoming afresh moment by moment in relation to the world around us. And those relationships can be vicious, can be painful, can be oppressive, or they can be dull. Uh, and tedious and repetitive, or they can be life-sustaining and loving and, and intentionally releasing uh, our creativity together. So the, relation, the relationality of process theology isn't all good, uh, but, it, but relations make us up. And yet I myself, you yourself, have a say moment by moment in how we integrate all that relating but this is a theology. And so also moment by moment, there's a, a work of God going on in every creature. And it isn't that, that this creator is controlling. Process theology's God doesn't control anything. This is not about control. This is a whole other kind a force field does God. Uh, this is not controlling power, but persuasive power, as I bet Tom Ward has even said on a podcast. So God is there inviting, calling, moment by moment, but that's mostly fully unconscious, just tucked into our creatureliness, moment by moment. Uh, but it's a deep part of each creature moment by moment. So the creation isn't just at the beginning, not just the beginning of my life, not just at the beginning of the creation, not just the beginning of a species. This creation is a creative process. God is calling us forth and not controlling the outcome, but offering possibility. That's, that's what the divine action is about. It's the, the lure of possibility 
It's God offering a possibility that's the best for this moment, whatever that might be. It's the best, what might make this moment, this conversation, this experience a little richer, a little more true, a little better, a little more alive. So there's that lure and moment by moment, we respond to it mostly unconsciously and we can reject it completely, repress it, keep that out of us because <laughs> uh, we want stability or you know, <laughs> we want our greed. We don't want to be part of <laughs> creation as a whole in this, in this relational generative open way. Uh, but we become what we become and God takes that into God's self moment by moment as well. So God both lures and receives, calls and receives, but doesn't control, doesn't coerce. And I find in that theology, remarkable freedom and support. <laughs> support for me, for you, support for our world. But it's calling us to do what has to be done for our world. This, this God isn't going to step in and fix climate change. <laughs> this God is calling us, calling process theology for half a century to call the rest of us uh, to wake up before it's too late uh, and repair the earth and shift, shift our destructiveness as a species, particularly powerful parts of our species, uh, shift that destructiveness into, into creativity, into the, the co-creation with God. Yeah, and I, I was going to hold off a little bit on on the creation bit, but I also I think it's it's one of the main keys here in the conversation because that is like one of the the beautiful sides or one of the the gifts that process thought um, gives the world is this invitation into actually taking creation seriously. Because growing up, I I was under the impression that God created things once and then. It was all done being created. Creation was done. And now we're just kind of here like doing stuff. But rather creation and the universe, all of it is, is this process that is still unfolding, right? If I, if I understand correctly. And like every, everything around us is a part of that process and in process as well. Um, so it's all quite literally interconnected. And relationship is kind of like the core of the whole thing, right? Every everything is in relationship to oneself because it's all a part of this uh, this one process. And um, whatever we mean by God, then within this framework, creation uh, or or the universe um, was kind of birthed out of this alluring power spirit uh thing and creation is uh is almost like one like one incarnation of this divine hmm. bit right because within process thought we have uh panentheism right everything god is the universe plus something else everything is contained within god how people talk about it differently um but once for me, like that was huge because then it not only you have, you know, nice Christian um, sayings and stuff where people are like, oh, well, you know, in, in Genesis, it says to take care of the earth. 
which is good. Like that's, that's a good start. But also once we realize that it's all interconnected, that it's all apart, um, uh, you know, it's, it's all in relationship with, with itself. Then it, 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 something shifts because then you realize that like truly what I do to myself, I do to you. And, you know, when I, I harm creation, I'm also harming myself and the, the tree is hurting, you know, so it's all the relationality of it, I guess, is, is really um, what stands out to me and understanding creation as process was like a huge shift and a very helpful thing for me um, in my own journey. Well, that's a really beautiful summation of kind of really the heart of process theology that that's that's so well said yeah and and right it is all about this relationality that that binds us uh to our world and oh and first of all to the very specific relations that are that are vivid and conscious to us in this moment and those that are more subliminal for us that make us up we can all get in touch with just just a, a slight pause with layers and layers of the relations that make us up from our <laughs> birth on but we know that what we are born as itself is the product of of, of endless generations of uh, just, uh, you know, and finally of millions of years, finally of billions of years. So yeah, the, the relationality just uh, ripples endlessly out and <laughs> flows endlessly back in. But the specific relations of our own particular world with our own particular perspective in it are what are most significant and conscious to it, but they call us always into a wider world. They call us always beyond the sense of, of just me, myself, you know, in, enclosed in, in my, my in my skin, as though that's some kind of, you know, some kind of rubber diving suit that just protects me from everything. And it, they and this in process theology, it also calls us beyond just the relationship of of you know me and my God, uh, which is very meaningful, but it, it will lose its meaning if it isn't opening us out into the wider world of relations to all the others that God is in relation to. And those aren't just human beings uh, to this whole creation. So, yeah, but as you say, I'm from a certain point of view, if one looks at it, if one looks at the creation in a meditative way or at an illumined moment, it is like, Every bush is burning, <laughs> to quote Josh Patterson. Yeah, because there is there is something on fire with creativity and life in every creature, and every creature is somehow disclosing divinity in however understated and subtle a way, uh, but but in its in its own in its own way, and that that has a lot to say to us, doesn't it, uh, that, that that creation is, <laughs> is glowing, burning, revealing something to us all the time. What it's revealing right now is sometimes very beautiful, but it's also very painful. Just, just 
New York Times front page at today, you know, the report on the, uh, yeah, the 22 species of, of birds now definitively extinct uh, on the United States list. You know, anyway, this just goes on and on uh, with this destructive effect that our species and particularly our civilization and particularly the kind of economics that benefits a certain portion of our civilization is, is exercising uh, potentially terminal destructiveness on our little bit, our beautiful little bit of the creation. But we're called not just to mourn and give up or to be numb and go on with business as usual. I mean, we're, we're, we're <laughs> called to get fired up along with all those bushes, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and so another thing that I find beautiful too within the re relationality bit is like this, um, the process thought is it can be found um, in a wide variety of places and in some different, um, even like religious traditions um, or like even more just like not even necessarily religious, but like more spiritual kind of teachings. Mm -hmm. Like I think of Philip Shepard, who was on the show recently. Um, I think he's a process theologian and he just doesn't know it or he does know it and he just doesn't call himself that. Um, but what's in so like, I guess then since it can be found in, in all these other places, um, my context and your context is we're Christians and I, Jesus, I guess is the thing that kind of makes us Christians. So within the realm of process thought, what, what role does uh, Jesus play or the Christ? I know they're not interchangeable, but um, right. yeah. What like, so if a listener was wondering, okay, but I'm a Christian, what does this have to do with Jesus? Uh, yeah, yeah. What'd you say to them? It has everything to do with Jesus, but it but there are multiple ways of doing process theology, and some are more like philosophy. There's beautiful developments of process thought in 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 Japan, uh, in Buddhist centers, uh, in, and John Cobb has done incredible work in mainland China, mainland China, and he only does that by being very understated about any theology at all, let alone any Christianity but he's been able to uh, be heard nationally in China. The premier has quoted him on a couple of occasions about the importance of Chinese leadership in ecological civilization. And John Cobb is trying to, trying to really encourage that because China is a big part of the problem, you know, almost as big as we are. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there are a lot of ways of communicating process thought that doesn't, a lot of ways that that don't need uh, to use Christian language, but most uh, most process thinkers have been Christian thinkers, Christian theological thinkers, as, as it turns out. Uh, and Whitehead, the philosopher behind it all, was a PK. His <laughs> father was an Anglican cleric. Uh, no coincidence there. So uh, there's, he became a great mathematician, but still that background allowed him to be one of the only philosophers, great philosophers in the 20th century who took God seriously. It's not true of Wittgenstein, it's not true of Heidegger, not true of Sartre, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, with, with, this, with this sense of, of, of uh, pan-entheism, uh, we're able, 
you know, we're able to talk about uh, all things being in God. That certainly means all religions are also in God. Uh, they can't keep God out. Uh, everything, everyone, every atheist, every every little suffering toad is within God, and that says something. And in panentheism, we also say, and God is in them, not controlling them, not forcing an outcome. But we then as Christian theologians uh, are aware uh, that God is in all things and that that is a kind of incarnation. Some thinkers have talked about uh, the universe as the body of God. Um, Sally McFaig was taking that from Charles Hartshorn, who was uh, the, originally the teaching assistant at Harvard of, of Whitehead. Um, the universe, not the same as God, that would be pantheism, but the universe as God's body, so God's, God's, God's spirit, uh, God's consciousness permeates that, that body of the universe and perhaps infinitely uh, exceeds it, uh, transcends it as well. But pause, breathe, you were asking about Jesus and maybe even Jesus as the Christ. But that's what hooked me into process theology. You know, it was John Cobb's, it was John Cobb's uh, Christology and <laughs> Christ in a Pluralistic World uh, that came out, uh, you know, around 1976, 77 uh, is when I was reading it. Uh, and that's why I went to study with him. And he's the one who really dramatically, fully, uh, beautifully, rigorously uh, brought out the Christology uh, of process theology, really advanced that and created that. And it's a cosmic Christ. You know, it's, it's, there's the Christ of, of the gospel of John, that is the word, the logos that is in all things and without which nothing comes into being. So it's a cosmic principle. That's why it's in everything. Nothing can be without that, that, that logos of creation. Uh, so in that way, God's in everything, <laughs> and it, but that God in everything, if you look at it in terms of, of the Trinity and the role of Christ in that Trinity, uh, that God in everything is, is what we call Christ that then took that distinctive embodied form in Jesus of Nazareth uh, in his utterly full and vulnerable and beautiful uh, humanity. And in his ability to voice the Hebrew prophetic tradition in a whole new way for his age and for all coming ages uh, and to, to bring it together with deep Jewish wisdom traditions uh, and always, always pulling out uh, not just the importance of, of care, of, of, of love, but not sentimental love, the love that makes a difference, a love that doesn't say Lord, Lord, right, Matthew 25, but that respects that Lord by caring for, for, for the widow, for the poor, for the orphan, for the oppressed, for the least of these. So that rigorous, rigorous sense of, of just love, uh, but combined with this delicate sense of, of the God who's, who's attending to the fall of every sparrow, that no sparrow falls <laughs> without 
the father is what it says in Matthew doesn't mean because the father is causing the fall, but is, is there is minding it. Nothing happens uh, without God minding it. And then Luke elaborates on, on that saying this, no, no, this, no, that, that no sparrow is, is forgotten. So the life of every creature is no, the life and the death of every creature is noticed, is cared for, uh, not controlled, but minded and taken in, remembered, becomes part of part of God. So this this um, the sense of justice and the sense of the beauty of the creation and this 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 radical love that is all quite distinctly <laughs> embodied in the figure of Jesus. So I was. I was very fortunate not to have been turned off early to Christianity by being overexposed to wrong forms of it. So this was all fresh and, and I, I found it irresistible. I could just really fall in love with that, with that Jesus. And uh, <laughs> you know, like some Mary Magdalene, <laughs> of course, you know, <laughs> that, that new age opera, <laughs> the age of Aquarius with Mary Magdalene singing, oh, I don't know how to love him, <laughs> was there for me as, as a teenager. So yeah, for process thought, uh, one doesn't have to emphasize Jesus, one doesn't have to be a Christian, uh, but as a Christian, one needs to take uh, the path of Jesus uh, with utmost seriousness. And that means to, to live it with love towards, towards everyone, even though sometimes that love is really tough uh, because sometimes others are, are rejecting our, our most important Christian principles. And often they're doing it in the name of Christ, like a lot of the, a lot of the political religious right that seems to foster forms of, of, of racism and, and sexism and neo-fascism sometimes in the name of Jesus uh, and utter, utter indifference as to the non-human creation. So it's tough, <laughs> it's especially tough to love those Christians who seem so without the capacity to love, you know, but we have, to, we have to work at it. Doesn't mean we have to agree with them at all, but we have to somehow relate to them in their in their humanity. Yeah. They're also creatures of God. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that can be the hard part too, is remembering that, that they too are, are in this interwoven network of relationship and they too exist in God and God within them. Amen. Um, yeah. And I guess I have, I know our time is short, but I have one more question I want to ask you if you're okay. Yes. Um, and it's just, um, I can picture maybe some listener asking like, man, all of this sounds really beautiful, but is there any eschatological hope within this God of, of process theology? Uh, because a lot of the time growing up, you know, being taught that um, the God who can control and does control is one day just going to rain down, you know, judgment and everything will be made right. And that's that. So within this realm of thinking, what is the eschatological hope um, that exists? Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and the eschatological hope is very alive in process theology. 
But process, process thinking isn't about the sort of standard Western notion of time, you know, as come, starting at an absolute beginning and then going to an absolute end. Uh, and maybe Christians think then the cross is somewhere in the middle of that and it's the, it's the climactic moment or whatever. But uh, process theologists think of, of time as aligned with this, you know, definite beginning and definite, you know, like predetermined end, nothing like that. It's an open, ongoing process and there are multiple forms of, of world uh, within it. Probably the idea of the multiverse has some real truth to it. One multiverse collapsing into some black hole, then another big bang, perhaps that uh, uh, from which another another one emerges, and God just about of all of that creativity. So there's no simple final the end. So this is really it's and that view isn't isn't true to the biblical faith. That's a very crude way of interpreting the Bible to think it's absolute beginning and absolute end. You know, I've written a whole book about the beginning and. Then, there is no creation from absolutely nothing in the Bible. You can read my 250 pages about that, but just look at the look at the first couple of verses of the Bible. There's no nothing there, <laughs> and it, and you can't find any absolute ending either. And I've just written another book on on the the Book of Revelation. There's simply no absolute ending at all. There's a lot of a lot of crisis, a lot of catastrophe, a lot of breakdown of the world. Uh, and there's the there's the New Jerusalem, which is not just a supernatural new creation. It is a very divinely inspired and 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 uh, enabled new creation. But the kings of the earth are going in through the gateways. I mean, it's this this planet with its you know its kingdom still there, just no longer in an imperial form. Uh, so that new creation is not some absolute end either. Uh, and and the process of judgment is basically before that, <laughs> and in the process of it in the book of Revelation. So yeah, there's I think there's something very very like um, eschatology in the truly biblical sense that it works its way into process thought. But it's more like the real Christ of the book of Revelation that says, you know, I am the <laughs> beginning and the end, right? I am the Alpha and the Omega. In this moment, in every moment, I am, that Christ can say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's not talking about, some, you know, the beginning back there and end coming there. No, it's, it's a little bit more like what I was saying about the becoming happening every moment. And there's a beginning and ending. And every moment, this creation is ongoing and Christ is part of it and calling us to account. And, and God takes in what we become and and there is a kind in it and god is just god is the ultimate discernment <laughs> of the universe and we could call it judgment it's love uh, but it's a discerning love so it's sifting it's judging in that sense uh what's worth retaining and what can't be retained um and and then process theologians would say that when we die there's a very uh, a very heightened form. <laughs> it's not just the moment to moment becoming and, and passing on that goes on at every moment of every creature's life. Uh, but, but it seems that there's uh, a, 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 more, uh, a more final and defining 
encounter of some mysterious sort. Sometimes people tell us of their near-death experiences and we get clues about, uh, about a kind of encounter there at the end of an individual life uh, that is judging in the sense of a kind of loving discernment. And if we're hearing about it from someone, they're coming back and they're sometimes feeling like they have another chance uh, to do even better. But in terms of the final es eschaton, I, I don't, don't think the Bible offers that except in very highly poetic form, which is saying, you know, we are, we are held to account, not just as individuals, but as civilizations, you know, as the as the species with this dangerous level of intelligence uh, and awareness, this, this dangerous giftedness, we are held to account for what we together make of the world, uh, and and that has ultimate significance, but. You, you can't read the Bible as offering any guarantee that God is going to pick, come in and, and just fix it all up any more than God ever has. You know, God didn't, didn't step in to prevent the Second World War and the, the, the deaths of, 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 of endless millions of innocent people. <laughs> 20, 40 million, depending on how you count. Who weren't soldiers. Uh, I mean, God, in, God does not stop the horrible things from happening individually and collectively that, ha that happen. That's not how God works in the universe. God isn't controlling. God is calling us to, to a better kind of cooperation. And if as a species, we continue down the path that, that our civilization is taking us down now, God isn't going to stop climate change for us. God isn't going to stop the, the seas from rising and taking out my neighborhood in Manhattan pretty soon. <laughs> uh, you know, God isn't going to stop the hurricanes uh, from getting worse year by year and the fires taking out the, the forest just when we most need trees to suck carbon out of the atmosphere. God isn't stopping that. God's calling us to take responsibility. And millions of people are hearing this and are working at it. So yeah, but there's there's judgment all along, and if we fail in this, the judgment is even larger. But that's not the same as saying there's some kind of final heaven and hell. But there might be uh, there might be a meaning to those metaphors that our efforts individually and our efforts together are are all taken into God, and in that in that divine love, there's no space for the toxins and the hate that we might have become, that probably has to be just, you know, spit out into what Jesus called the outer darkness. Now, that's not the same as saying you burn in hell eternally. But it, it probably is that if you're not living a life, of, a life in touch with divine love, uh, there might not be any, any life for you in love itself, in the love we call God eternally. If you haven't come to love that love, you're not going to love it then. It, you know, you probably would hate it. You'd probably feel you're being forced to commune with all of these other people who you never liked anyway. <laughs> you know, so if you're not ready to commune in that wider sense of 
connection during your lifetime, then probably what you die into will feel like judgment. You know, but that's not about punishment. That's <laughs> deep disappointment and incompatibility, if that makes sense. <laughs> we have to come to some, some level of, of love in order to experience eternal love as eternal life. Man, thank you. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. This has been, um, I mean, I'm super bummed that our, our time uh, is coming to an end, but this has been fantastic. Um, I've really enjoyed the, the conversation. Um, you've helped illuminate some things for me, help make some connections in my mind kind of go off, which is nice. Um, and hopefully uh, listeners as well, this has been a, a meaningful and helpful conversation to you. Um, I'm going to link uh, your new book. I'm going to link on the mystery and, and also uh, Christ in a pluralistic world. Since you mentioned that, I'm going to link those in the show notes for our listeners. Um, but where else can our listeners uh, go and find you and your work, Catherine? Well, you're going to link on the mystery and facing apocalypse. Yes. Said, mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are the good starting points, but uh, I, I recently wrote this book, political theology of the earth. Perfect. And it, it, it's not super accessible, but it's not super abstract either. And it, it, the subtitle is Our Planetary Emergency and the Struggle for a New Public. And it's not very long. <laughs> so that might be, that might be a, good, a good link. Awesome. But definitely on the mystery is, is pretty readable, at least for people who have some theological uh, literacy. Yeah. You know? done some some theological reading together and and you know facing apocalypse i really did write for a wider audience um that I, I, um yeah doesn't mean people who aren't serious readers but but i do think it it's communicating even with some friends who aren't uh who aren't into theology at all so i'm i'm glad of that and hope it's getting around because facing apocalypse isn't just about facing the book of Revelation, <laughs> though that's how I that's how I do it. That's the exercise that I use is to go through the book of Revelation and apply it to now, but in ways that I think people might find uh, interesting and uh, surprising, but maybe even maybe even hopeful. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, listeners, be sure to check those things out again. Catherine, thank you so much uh, for your time and for uh, for your work. Uh, hopefully, maybe you can do this again someday. Well, um, I love this conversation, Josh. So, yes, let's do it again someday. For sure. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Uh, listeners, to you, thank you so much for hanging out with us both today. Um, and as always, go in peace. Peace and love, guys. Bye.